another ADC soundbite. Soundbite. I wonder if I could throw out the first question, which is this. Um, you know, you, you said in your sermon um, that um, in this day and age we should be past it, in a way. Basically. I mean, you do, that's not your word, that's a bad paraphrase, but it, you said we should be able to move past it, we should be past it. And it, it feels to me sometimes as though we think that racism is no longer something that we even have in our hearts or that we encounter and so on. So, I mean, is that the case? I mean, aren't we just... I mean, isn't this an issue whose time has passed and we're, we're past it? So why are we even talking about it today? I think there are some who actually might ask that question, but not out loud. Yeah, I think you've heard a lot from me already, so I think Linus should speak. <laughs> uh, really, I do. I think I've said a lot, and I'd be interested about this, because the reality is, and I'll just introduce him by saying that I belong to a group of people that... It's clear there's a phenomena called white privilege. So someone who is white, if you do not think that the that Caucasians have privilege, all you need to do is begin to travel in the world. So it's not easy for me to answer the question. And I'd like Lionel to talk about it. I, I've, I have been with people at airports who are of other races who are the ones who get pulled aside. I've traveled on airplanes after 911 where if there was someone sitting toward the front of the aircraft who seemed to be at all nervous, everybody was thinking if they were Middle Eastern in descent, they were going to barge through the cockpit. Uh, racial profiling continues. Nervousness around all kinds of things continue. Certain races of the world, um, it's said of them certain things. So it does continue. Uh, for me, um, it's actually challenging to speak on this subject because I'm not Canadian by birth mm. and I only came to realize the um, this uh, reality of this experience called racism after I moved to Halifax. I lived in several communities in Nova Scotia where I served, I lived in New Brunswick, uh, but I never realized what the, I should say, the obvious racism is until I moved to Halifax and it happened in a way that taught me that there is something called systemic racism that is an, a concept that is practiced at various levels of organized society that is almost in itself its own power it doesn't need any help anymore it's just there and it's operated accordingly. A case in point, after we moved to Halifax, I was in my office of the church one afternoon and I got a telephone call from my wife that a police officer came into a yard at the parsonage on Shibaka Road and asked our son who was clearing some bushes from the fence, or it was in the fall, asking what he was doing there. Now this was a 13, 14-year-old and it was devastating for him. I don't think he's really gotten over it quite yet. Because what happened is that they did not suppose that a black family would live in a Jewish neighborhood in that part of Halifax. And the assumption was that he was um, not to be there. 
he was trespassing in the territory. Uh, it came out to the point where he was required to come and apologize to our son, because I did not leave it at that, and that allowed me to become involved with the police as a chaplain over time, and to be able to deal with some of those things. But at every level, even in the police force, it's there. So the systemic racism is what we really are struggling with. Generally speaking, individuals, even families and small communities, and I've lived in some of those as the only black families in the entire community or in the entire church where I served, and it was a very engaging relationship. But because of this, what is so-called so systemic racism, we would not be able to get away from it. So we just can't assume that it's okay because I've experienced a good relationship in the community. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why the conversation is necessary for those of us who are in leadership, those of us who are going to be out there in ministry, mm -hmm. need to be aware that there is that principle of racism that is existing. I've had occasions where I had to deal with the government. I had to go into the premier's office and talk with him about people in the north end of Halifax who are not being treated properly. And um, even people who have not been allowed to have promotion in the justice system just because they're black, and in some cases because they're black and female. Mm -hmm. And so those are the realities in terms of life in the area of Nova Scotia where I live. And so this conversation needs to be continued. In terms of what do we do as the people of God in this level of, um, of uh, development, in terms of education, I think that one of the things we've had to do is to try to uh, recognize people who are, uh, who are just as capable of, the, of education at this level as anyone else by virtue of the gifts and the grace of God, and not just to recognize them but to actually celebrate them when there's an opportunity to do so. Because uh, when I say celebrate, it's to, to publicly acknowledge their accomplishments and to encourage them to move on because there are those who don't know that it's possible. Mm -hmm. There are simple young people, there's a struggling with young people now to, to make a difference in society by pursuing education and experiencing that change that it brings about and to make a difference in their own society. So it's a challenge we have. We don't want to make people heroes, but at the same time, we need to be able to know some way in which we can acknowledge the fact that we are overcoming this one person at a time in some way or another. But systemic racism and the a willingness to recognize. I have a book here called Black Forces, and it is amazing at the number of things that have been invented by black folk that have not made the history. These are people who have to actually do these researches of every level of society, every level of engagement and skill, they, we have made a difference. In the simplest of things, we were involved in that, either as partners or as the one who were the entrepreneurs of it. But it's not been made known because there's very little history of black people. Until the movie Roots came into being, nobody thought that there was any promise in a whole lot of things. So the challenge for us in terms of when we say to talk about it, um, it's not because there isn't a sense of progress. I mean, I came as a student here and I experienced the grace of the academy 
in terms of those who are my professors and mentors. It's because of the mentoring of a professor at ABC that caused me to be where I am today, and that is Dr. Robert Wilson. Mm -hmm. He saw in me that which I did not see and recognize. Thereby, I'm here today. And so when I talk about celebrating, it's just encouraging somebody to go for it. You can do it. And we support you and as you go through the journey. I'm not talking about making people heroes, but just being in the background as a mentor and guiding them along and walking beside them. Thanks very much. Could, could, could I add this, that I think that um, it's easy for us sometimes to, to say that um, things are structural, structural, you know, there's a structural racism, and, and, and I think we, any of us have lived very, you don't have to live very long to have witnessed it, right? And, and you talked, Harry, about being in an airport, and I certainly have been in airports where, um, even in Halifax, where uh, there were only two of us in the line, and I got waved through, and the next guy has to take his belt off and his shoes off and his jewelry off. And, and I stood there, and I thought, what, you know, it, can I say anything in that situation? And, and I think sometimes there, it's easy to put things off onto structures and say, but it doesn't exist in me. And I, I'm really keen that we make the connection, I think, between my responsibility um, in, in maintaining those kinds of structures that perpetuate that. And I think that for all of us, I think if the postmodern philosophers have taught us anything, it's that we do actually have a tendency to remake others in our own image, right? And to, and to consume them and make them like us, rather than let people be who they are and to learn from the differences um, between us, rather than try to box people in and be suspicious of them because they are different from, from ourselves, regardless of what that difference is. And I think some of the conversations we've been having about um, the lack of some of our churches embracing immigration, for example. I mean, we have a hard enough time welcoming people from Toronto sometimes, uh, let alone people We're from... We're fine from Montreal. Montreal, you're close enough. And that's not a college thing. I think, Where's Keith? I think, I think we do really well as a college. Keith, I'd be interested to see if he differs. I think we do really well on welcoming people right. as a college. I'm talking about the level of our churches. Some do, but not always. And I, and I just think that sometimes we talk about structural racism, and it is a huge, huge thing, but but there, it can become almost like a collective, the devil made me do it, you know, it's not my thing then, it's it's a structure, it's something else, it's not me, it's not in my heart, I don't have any responsibility for that, and I, I think we let ourselves off the hook sometimes, a lot, a lot, much too easily, but I don't know if you want to comment on that, or if you just... Well, we open it up, see who has questions. There's Glenn. I, I'm not part of the panel, but I said I wanted to share something. And it's a story about myself that shocked me and still disturbs me. Um, when I was growing up, I had black friends. Um, my best friend in high school was a black man. Um, I went to college uh, for a few years with Lionel. Um, I've known uh, people of African descent all of my life. I did not think I was racist. thought I was beyond that. I was going to a theological conference down in Decatur, Georgia. I was prepared for Atlanta. A lot of people of Africa were sitting there. We got off the plane, got onto a train. I met two other white guys, and we were all going to the same conference, and we were chatting. We got to the end of the line, where we had to get out, get a taxi to make our way to Decatur. And I got out of the uh, train station, out onto the street, and as I looked around, 
fear welled up within me. I was the only, or we were the only white faces in this area. <coughs> Taxi drivers were black, the storekeepers were black, everybody on the street was black, except for us. And I was afraid. It shocked me. I did not think I was racist. The fear of the difference. There was a man who was down the street, he looked up at us, he was an elderly man, he smiled. I looked at him and I thought, he's just a grandfather, he's going home to see his kids. Yeah. And I settled down. But that showed to me the complexity and the insidious nature of racism. Mm -hmm. I did not think it was in me, yeah. and there it was. Wow. So if you don't think you're racist, you might want to think again. Mm. Um, get yourself into it would be difficult. You know, I go, I go to Africa, I don't even think about it. That one caught me off guard. That's what it was. Um, so uh, maybe it's part of the fall. Maybe it is all Satan's fault. I don't know. <laughs> but it's there, and it really shocked me. So uh, I share that as a story about myself to expose the insidious nature of racism. Yeah, that's like to answer it by telling a story as well. <clears throat> One of the pastors of the New Minus Church, Sterling Gosman is a graduate of this institution. We love him. He and his wife live just around the corner from us. Sterling grew up, or yes, Fredericton, part of Grace, not Grace, uh, Brunswick Street for many years. And he and I, he was the president of our convention at one point. We were traveling. We talked about all these kinds of things a lot. And uh, he said that, he made a comment one day that he didn't even, he didn't, in that context, he didn't even see himself as black. He said he didn't, he just didn't see it. And I said to him, well, okay, but here's the thing. How do we, because sameness is not what the nations of the world is about. Each culture, each nation has its own giftedness from God to be celebrated. <clears throat> So we're not to be simply assimilated, stewed down to a, like a, we, we are like a stew pot with all kinds of things, but we're still all together in Christ. But what I'm concerned about is how do we celebrate the uniqueness of the nations and what they bring in their cultures to us? In a sense, I suppose, I, wouldn't, I don't like the word profiling, I understand what that means, but I would not want, I want to celebrate the uniqueness of the cultures. That's what I've seen in my in all my travels. Is I want to celebrate that. Um, I don't I don't want us to not see someone who's Asian and say you're Asian. What part of the Asian world you come from, 
or you're black, what, what part of, of um, African descent or where are you from? And tell us about it. So I think there is a uniqueness in all the cultures and ethnicities to be celebrated. Whether social, I think people are just trying to make a lot of money. That's all I'd say to you, Chris, about all the profiling that goes on. It's probably all about money making and how to advance somebody's cause and sell something. So I don't know that it contributes, it contributes to it because I think it's just feeding the, the essence of the ego that says this is who you are and we're going to bring it all to you because you deserve it. And by the way, we're going to make a lot of money through it. So racism to me is in comparison to others. It's not just the feeding of one's ego. So that's where I don't, I don't see it maybe that way, but I'd be interested to know what you think in terms of social profiling because I think what you're describing is media, social media telling me this is who you are and this is how we can well, sell I mean, you whatever. I think it affects everything. When we walk through an airport, yeah. a face recognition technology notices. And if we're looking for a particular terrorist group that come from that are profiled because they come from this area or they buy shoes, something. And one of my concerns, I guess, is to what extent is the overriding power of the commercial world, which is which is actually ever present as soon as you fill in those tick boxes, um, in a way, in a subliminal way, feeding differences in a very negative sense. Well, I think it's true. I think that is true. I've just applied for a nexus pass. I've been back and forth to states a lot. And I can't believe all the things I had to fill out and go through. In turn, and I'm still waiting. So I'll see what they have to say about me. I'll have to wait. I'd love to pick up on that if I could from the perspective of um, how advertising is shaping us. And I think that's exactly what you're hitting on. I think it's actually a really good point. Because if the images that we're being shown, as we're constantly bombarded by images, are all like us, mm -hmm. then all we're ever doing is looking in a mirror, right? right? And w when in actual fact we need to be seeing the diversity around us, which, which we don't see. And that's the ego world. that I was talking about, is it exactly. feeds our ego, rather than seeing the other. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that it, that, that becomes then increasingly difficult to... to um, to challenge that kind of structural racism because there, there's, there's really no way of doing that. You, you, you are, I am, a white woman of a certain age and so I get targeted with all the adverts aimed at a white woman of a certain age so I don't see in my Facebook advertising images of people from different ethnic backgrounds. I don't see it. And, and it was bad enough anyway when there was a much more a cohesive approach to advertising toward the aimed at a whole society. It was bad enough then, but at least there were occasional reflections of diversity. But now that it's all aimed at the individual uh, and tailored that way, we, we, we see even less diversity in the images that bombard us than we did before. I think it's a good point. Thank questions. You. Right. Yes. Yeah, I was just going to add to that point. <clears throat> One thing about racism is the social construct. So you'll see it moves through history of who we discriminate towards because we, as power at least will determine who will be uh, oppressed. Mm -hmm. So that's why even with an advertising social media, you just see it being reconstructed. But to me, that's really not the issue. It's more underlying in the individual. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm from the African Nova Scotia community, one of the, lar the largest in, in Nova Scotia, which is, well, it used to be Preston, but it's been split to East and North Preston. I'm from East, East Preston. Mm -hmm. And I would say, too, um, I think anytime you want to embrace diversity, you have to be amongst the that's how you shift, because we all bring our prejudice, we all bring our ignorance, we all do. And to acknowledge that, but that I wouldn't say that makes you racist, it's when you have that, that develops irrational fear and how you distance yourself. And especially in the church, we really shouldn't be that way. Because like uh, Dr. Gardner so eloquently explained that we're all created in God's image, 
and that should be at least some kind of motivation to want to get eye to eye with someone who's different than you. Yeah. For me, my experience is when you are with people, you see how they function just like you function in the mm -hmm. sense of you know, just trying to want what's best for their family. But you also see how they do see the world a little bit different, especially in ministry. Like when I minister to my community, I just can't prescribe scripture. Right. To them, it's their contextualization of their reality, which is a discriminated is which is discriminated and oppressive to them. So I can't just come with this scripture. They see it as a, from a completely, they might see God as a white oppressor. Yeah. So how do I just, how, that's to me, if you don't try and see the people first, and that's why Jesus was so amazing, because he's seen the individual first, and then he's seen their needs, and then he added a prescription to it. And I think Jesus is a simple, really all we need is love, in my opinion. All right, it sounds good. <laughs> Just to offer a little bit of hope in that situation, you're right uh, when it comes to the church. Um, before I came here to Nova Scotia, I was attending a church in Toronto, um, Asian Court Pentecostal Church. Um, and this church has, I, th I think I was told that it has over 55 different cultural ethnicities. And what's amazing is that you can step into a church like this on, at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning and you know that everybody is there for one purpose, and that purpose is to worship God. So there's, there is hope, that, uh, and, and I'm saying this just to offer that, 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 that hope, that, um, and that, you know, part of us, like part of, a lot of society may see this as, as a big issue, but, you know, that, that in a sense we are moving in the right direction. I understood that Toronto is the most ethnically diverse city on the planet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I want to add to that is that when I mentioned to you that my first experience of the racism was in Halifax, having come from Guyana, a land of six races, in which there was a sense of connectedness. And um, I often look back at the experiences I've had since being in Halifax and the awareness that I um, have you know, been able to gather because of what I saw and what was experienced by the people that I served amongst, is that um, if God had not allowed me to experience the kind of things that I did in those small communities, uh, I don't know that I would have been in Canada today. Mm -hmm. and it, it, it at the same time allowed me to be able to minister in groups to group, both groups of people, white and black, without feeling a sense of being diminished. Uh, I mean, there are times in which it was kind of amusing. I remember one instance I was, I appreciate the church, I think it was Hinsborough Baptist Church in, in Newton. And um, I was still a student at uh, ABC, ABC at the time. And after the service, we were coming out of the church, so I was at the door shaking hands. And I remember this little four-year-old coming, he shook my hand and he like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at look his mother's face and I could sense that he was trouble here right now. <laughs> so I gradually, I just gently stooped down and I took his hand and I said, it's, it's interesting, there's no, there's no color there, isn't it? And then I just looked at him and I said, you know, that's the way God made you. And I touched him and this is the way God made me. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. And I just... Um, you know, sometimes I say to her, I would like to move that young boy. <laughs> but the idea is, um, what I'm getting at here, racism is 
the right of this. Well, it's a little disloyal. We want to call it innate. And because of sin, probably sin is one of the ways it's manifested. But in terms of the, the fact of, um, of having uh, these young children playing with each other, I remember reading the story of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And he had all these wonderful relationships all through college, uh, well, not through college, but through high school, until he began, they began to go off to higher um, education. Mm -hmm. And then there was that, his friends were not allowed to be with him anymore. And that's when he discovered the whole concept of racism and what he does. But growing up, it wasn't an issue. So it seems to me that God did not place racism in our head. And even sin didn't place it there. Sin is what caused the confusion of us and God. And then out of that, racism came as a long experience. And, and so that's why we can still deal with it. I mean, there are people who are dealing with racism and they're not Christians. They are able to get along. And you read the stories of the civil rights movement and there are people who are able to deal with it as a long experience that is destroying the race. I mean, yesterday afternoon, I saw that my wife and I were, I picked her up at the bus stop on my way from, from here and uh, we stopped at the store and she had to go into the, to get something and they said, I'm just gonna sit there because I, I was tired, I didn't feel like walking in. Two cars came, they came by, they stopped, they saw me and they moved off the parks and near us. How do you think I felt? When I knew they were going to park, other places I've been, it wasn't a car there, or the person in there didn't look like me, and I experience that all the time. And it's nothing but what the culture is teaching. Because the movies that we see, the, um, the, 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 well, the things that law does to people of color, one can see that evidently racism is engaged. In other words, people are learning that you don't stay with next to these people. I mean, I go to the store. My wife and I walk into the store, and the, 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 um, one of the people in the store will just simply leave where they are, and they start walking behind us and asking us, do you get what you want? No, we're not getting what you want. We're just looking around. But they will just come and they'll stand on one side, and you go where there's a security agent in one of the stores. And as soon as you go in, the person starts walking around and going in another aisle and always checking and keeping an eye on you. And that's the kind of thing that happens. And the movies show it, and so the people practice it. This is the thing to do. And for us as Christians, it's a challenge to know how do you engage a culture that's like that, one person at a time. I shared with, um, in a discussion with Dr. Moran some time ago, uh, something that really uh, woke me up, I guess, to the issue. And um, it was a, a study that uh, Lord Winston, a scientist in the UK, he, he studied children a lot and how children develop, and he put this on TV. It was always very entertaining. Uh, but this particular time I found it very challenging because he had children who were about five years old uh, whose sense of identity is a kind of a... a significant time of development. And he would show them different pictures. And so there was a little white girl there and he said, you know, point to the picture of the good child. And of course she points to the picture of the white child. He says, now point to the picture of the bad child. Who's bad? She points to the picture of the black child. Now he said, okay, he said, you might expect that. She's identifying good with something she recognizes and has an affinity for. So we shouldn't panic too much yet. But what really broke my heart and still does to think about it today was this little black boy who was sitting there. 
And he said, now who's the good child? And he looked at the pictures and he pointed to the white kid. And who is the bad child? And he looked at the pictures and he pointed to the black child. And it still breaks my heart to think of it. Because then, then there were a lot of interviews with black families and how they uh, need to work so hard against the cultural pressure to instill a sense of dignity and value and equality in, in the children. And I just, I, I kept thinking and still think, what can the church do and has the church done enough to counter that insidious pressure to make people feel that they are somehow less than worth somebody else? And, and what are we doing that perpetuates that? And how can we stop that? And, and it is good for us, but it, it's heartbreaking. Jeff had a question on no. your down. Well, uh, I wrote the question, but I... Uh, or a comment? Yeah, uh, so this is supposed to be a hot potato mm. discussion, and this is my first one. Uh, so <laughs> is it just coming out of the oven? <laughs> 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 All right, um, so uh, just in terms of what you were saying there, in terms of the church not, not being a not that together, it's my observation that the church historically so much work to be done. We acknowledge that. I, I am very thankful for the leadership that we, we have at the moment that's giving us some help to even get our eyes open a little bit around some of the issues of First Nations. And I think the partnership that we hope to have as an institution and Anna, the Nates in terms of the, the work, I mean, you, you would have known this, some of you no, this is something we're trying to do. But I confess, brother, I, I don't think I've even got one piece of a puzzle of many thousands of pieces in understanding. But there's a will there to begin to try. And I think in our convention, we were talking just after chapel, Lionel and I were part of that group nearly 10 years. Wonderful documents on the convention website. Great. But it's like a floor, it needs to be swept. 
and every generation and everyone coming through, we need to keep this put there. I mean, it's never, never done. It's never done. And um, I heard this said at a conference I was at on racism, that if the dominant culture wishes to make place for, one, for a culture within it that has been discriminated against, the dominant culture needs to make two places at the table where normally there would be one for the, for the dominant culture. And it, it has to be genuine, it has to be worked through, there has to be a lot of conversation. And, um, yeah. Okay, lots of hands, any, the hands all around. Okay.
difference that can overcome you if you've been taught that you are the family of grace. Yeah. <coughs> Don't know what effect it has on you mm. until you get into a situation where you're not the family of grace. Yeah. I've been in the Navy for years in very different countries. And I can tell you, in other countries, I'm still seen as the dominant race. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> because I've gone over there and I've had people ushered out of the way from their ethnic minority so I could take a seat. I know. I'm on. I told you about something. Yes, I, I just finished it. Everybody, I think um, um, it's wonderful uh, you know, talking about it and our experiences and so on. But I also think that it's also important to uh, dialogue in the area of what can be done. Mm -hmm. What everybody can be done as an individual, as a community, as a church. Um, I know in Italy, where my sister lives, um, as part of the school curriculum, um, every child is, at least in the primary school, um, is made to, there are courses, subjects that we have about peoples of the world. And my sister teaches uh, one such subject in different schools uh, in the house that where she lives. So she would go in and teach some of the Ghanaian culture, lead the children in Ghanaian dances and songs and so on. Sometimes they'll perform. You know, and I think it's very helpful because uh, what happens is that um, even after uh, people realize the problem about racism, um, there's this tension where people don't know how to behave amongst one another. Um, so if people are taught uh, how people think, how people behave, people's culture and so on. Then when they get um, in, in, in the company of such people, they now feel more at ease. You know, they can smile, you know, they can, they can appreciate a joke from the other culture and so on and so forth. So I think one of the problems in solving um, uh, the issue of racism is, is education about different people's culture what this means and that may have been misinterpreted and so on and so forth. So I think that's one step forward. So in our churches, like in my church for instance, we have one day each year we call, now we call it the International Day. So we have all the nations within the church um, given a, a, a time, even have a, sometimes we'll have a morning service, you know, just to bless the nations. And then the evening will be like a concert where every nation has a part to come and present, talk about their nation, their culture, an aspect, and maybe perform a dance or whatever. And then afterwards also, there is a, a potluck, dishes of the nations, mm -hmm. you know, and each person standing there would explain what this dish is about, how it's made, ingredients, and so on. So I think it's not the solution, but it's one step in the right direction. You know, and that I just wanted to offer that. Thank you. Thank you. Chris, to some extent, we can understand it when we, simplistically, the phrase when we look at people because they look 
social sense. What does the panel think about the emergence of the dominant nation of secularism and the spiritual nation of Christianity? Are we going to see some of a reflection in a way of some of the appalling traits that we see in racism applied to the church because it's now surrounded by a dominant race of secularists? That's a great question. Come tonight. Come tonight. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great question. I think, I think point well taken. And um, in, in a culture where we felt we have been dominant, it's fast disappearing. There is a class for some of you four minutes ago. <laughs> so speaketh the president. Because we have to finish, I just want to pray. Okay. Okay. Um, and since this is just a discussion, which I think is very healthy, and I think is, is a great catalyst into kind of dealing with these issues. At our church on Friday, um, we're having a discussion on rebranding the black experience. So I encourage you, if you have a God put a burden on your heart that you want to not be just a discusser of these issues, but you want to really get with the people and really serious about it, then please we invite you to come to our church. You'll be getting 26 Cherry Brook Road, so plug in for us. Um, but we're, we're talking a lot about what these issues are. What is it like for a black person in Nova Scotia today? And also, like, the face of black people has changed. Like, me, myself, I'm biracial, so... What's that experience like? Right. What does it mean to be black? Like a lot of these questions that we might have to be uh, able to be in a safe place and have good dialogue, I encourage you to come here in Metro. So I just want to put that up. Great. Thank you for that. Great invitation. Thank you. Let's pray. God our Father, we are your people, all of us together. We pray, Lord, that you would make us one. Make us one in a way that doesn't gloss over our differences, Lord, but in all the richness of our diversity that we would give up an offering of praise to you that would please you. We pray, Lord, that you will soften our hearts, make this discussion just one step in that direction, to begin a discussion that, Lord, will continue. And so would your spirit move among us, move within us. And we pray that through the complexity, you would lead us to the simplicity of worshiping God together as your people. We pray, Lord, that you will make us wise to these things and let us not let, let them lie for someone else, Lord, but let us take them up for this time, for this place, for this generation. And we will give you the glory. Help us to love each other with the love of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.